0: You're listening to RiverCast, brought to you by River of Life Church in Gilderland, New York. Now here's Pastor Sean. Hey, good morning, River. Hope you guys are doing well today and uh, wish you a happy Thanksgiving also. And uh, I can't think of a a time that I guess just, you know... as I look at what's happening with COVID and what's going on and just on the back end of the election, my heart just was a little heavy this week, to be real honest with you. Just students and kids and classes being canceled and just, you know, and even watching my own family and kids juggle all of those things. And so, you know, I'm kind of like, wow, this is not a wonderful, fantastic, just amazing kind of Thanksgiving. But uh, in light of that, I want to give us three attitudes to survive a pandemic. Three three attitudes. And and this, this isn't just for COVID. This isn't all of life, guys, okay? But, you know, if we were to most, as I've talked with other pastor friends, and I don't know how much people in church are a snapshot of the world around us, but, you know, in, in in terms of responding to just where COVID is and all that, there's kind of a small group of people that are just like, it's a conspiracy theory, it's all made up, and, you know, political agenda or whatever. And then there's a small group of the op, and, and don't wear masks and all of that. And then there's a opposite end, there's kind of a small group too that are just, just you know, this is just as a, a, a horrible, terrible thing that's just going to, you know, crush us all. And, and then there's some that just like, hey, you know, this is real, but we just have you know, immune compromised and health conditions. And most people, it seems like, are kind of in the middle, you know. Depending on what's going on, I'm like, it's a nuisance. Or, oh, wow, it really is a tragedy. And in the middle of all of this, we're just kind of trying to juggle and roll with things and, you know, make it through in life. And we're hitting a passage of Scripture this morning that really applies to us Regardless of how you see COVID and what you're thinking about, what you can and can't do, was, it was hitting me. I haven't seen my family, my parents in, you know, in a year, and it's probably going to be 18 months at least until you know we get to see them again. And, and we've all experienced at different levels some, some things and some real tragedies. Some in our church family have lost family um, predominantly because of COVID. And so three attitudes that we want to talk about this morning, whether or not you see it as a pandemic, Our world is treating it as a pandemic, and it's coming, and it is definitely a pandemic for some. So take your Bible, if you would, and look at 2 Corinthians chapter 5 this morning. 2 Corinthians chapter 5. These are three attitudes, guys, that should be a part of our life. But because they should be a part of our life, they will actually help us through the difficult times, whether that's now, whether that's in your future. Uh, Paul gives us some tremendous... Tremendous counsel about how we should live our life as followers of Jesus. So read with me the first few verses, first 10 verses or so, in in 2 Corinthians chapter 5. It'll be on the screen if you don't have your Bibles open. The Bible says this, For we know that if the tent that is our earthly home is destroyed, we have a building from God, a house not made with hands, eternal in the heavens. Paul is not talking about a camping trip here when he's talking about tent. This is a metaphor. He's talking about our bodies. He says, guys, we know that this the real us is on the inside, not the outside. The real us is the invisible part that's on the inside. And Paul says, if this body of ours, this tent, he kind of, he's trying to help us to realize that, like, this is no different than us going camping and shoving it down in a pack and throwing it away, right? That's what our bodies ultimately are like. It's not the real us. He says, if it's destroyed, we've got something way better than a tent. We've got a permanent body and a permanent eternity as followers of Jesus in heaven. A house that wasn't made with hands, wasn't... No physical procreation, anything that happened, but something that God did. He says, for in this tent, in other words, while we live this life, we groan, longing to put on our heavenly dwelling. It's not easy going through the stuff of life and the things that we're having to deal with as we make our life in this world. We groan, and we long for something better, for our heavenly home. He says, if indeed by putting it on, we may be not be found naked. Most guys who study the Bible are like, I'm not too sure what that is, and there's some disagreement. I kind of land on the side that what he's talking about is if when we die, if somehow we're not found to like not have a home, you know, we don't want to go through that. But anyway, regardless, he says, for while we are still in this tent, we groan, being burdened. Not that we would be unclothed. In other words, he's not talking about physical clothes. Not that we would be found kind of naked spiritually, if you will. But so that what is mortal may be swallowed up by life. Talking about that eternal life. He who has prepared us for this very thing is God. God's prepared us. And he's given us the Spirit. The Holy Spirit is his guarantee. So we are Always, huge highlight for you, always of good courage. When you and I are down and struggling with the realities of life and things that we don't like and we groan for something better, Paul said we always have good courage. Always. You should probably highlight that and come back to that at some point in your life. We know that while we are at home in the body, we are away from the Lord. For we walk by faith, not by sight. Yes, we are of good courage. The Bible says it once, it's important. If it says it twice, it's doubly important. Yes, we are of good courage, and we would rather be away from the body and at home with the Lord. So whether we are at home or away, we make it our aim, regardless of where we are, we make it our aim to please Him. For we must, must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ, so that each one may receive what is due for what he has done in the body, whether good or evil. Pray with me, folks. Father, I am grateful for the truths of these these verses. And Lord, would you help me to unpack them, to share them in a way that not only makes sense, but, Father, that your Spirit uses and, and puts into our hearts. Father, we each need to hear from you today, not me Uh, that's the last thing that we need. So Lord, would you be gracious and take the eternal, amazing truths of your word. May they change our minds. May they change our hearts. May they move us. May they draw us to you. May they give us hope and and a courage. And Father, I pray your blessing on this time with your word. In Jesus' name I pray, amen. So three things in here, three attitudes, if you will, three dispositions of life that are important for us. Paul says, guys, he says, I know what it's like to live in this body. I I know what it's like to long for something far superior. Keep in mind, Paul was the one who had been stoned and left for dead. He was one that had been beaten, one whose body had experienced all of the things of life. He knew what it was like to get sick. He knew what it was like to... To deal with all the headaches and struggles of life. He was a businessman and made tents and made, you know, portable housing for people, if you will. Do do we not think that he ran into some disgruntled customers (laughs) along the way? You know, he didn't. He just, he had all of that. And he said, Guys, I long for something better. That's the first thing that I want us to recognize that we, it is okay to long for something better. It's okay to want that. It's okay to desire that. But along the way, we need to make sure that what we're looking for is genuinely better. You know, I think there would be very few people today, right now, that are not looking for something significantly better in their life. I think that generally is true, but I think it's especially true right now. We all wish that we had different circumstances. We all wish that we didn't have to deal with COVID. We, didn't have to, we all wish we would have to deal with quarantines, so we could see families, and so we didn't have to live under the threat of, of people being sick, under the threat of, of all of this, under the threat of the economics of it all. We, we wish and we long for something completely different. Paul says, I long for that. What I want to encourage us is to make sure that, we are, that what we're longing for is something different that is better. As we desire in our life, it is okay to desire things. So take maybe if we could take COVID, put it in box it, and put it on a shelf and put it away. Wouldn't that be really nice? Like, could we have a COVID-free day? You know, just like, okay, we're not dealing with COVID today or this week. And we could just kind of leave that alone for a second. In all of our life, we want better. We, we, we want something different. We want things to improve, whether it's relationships, whether it's Uh, Our home, however, our jobs to improve, it's okay to want better. But I want us to also be careful when we're weighing that better. Sometimes we want better to the degree that we have way too much hope and too much stock put into that. And because of it, we can get cranky, we can get irritable. Let me go even further. Because of it, we can even fall into depression because we don't have that better. There's a story in the Old Testament King Ahab was out and about, and he saw this vineyard that was near his his palace. As if the king didn't have enough already, you know. I mean, he had whatever he could want, just about. And as he saw this vineyard, he, he went to the owner, a guy by the name of Naboth. He's like, man, you got a fine piece of real estate. I would sure like to have that. It's close to my house. It's beautiful. It's perfect. I'll give you fair market value. I'll buy it from you, what it's worth. And you can go buy something else. Or if you want, I'll give you something else that's even better. But this is just, this is really sweet. I mean, I can like walk out of my bedroom. I can be in this garden. I mean, he was just picturing all of this stuff, right? And the guy said, nothing doing, King. No disrespect, sir, but this is my family's heritage. I'm not selling to you what my father, my grandfather, my great-grandfather that's been in our family for, for, you know, hundreds of years... And so what the king did, the Bible says, is he was, he was uh, vexed, heavy and vexed. He was burdened. He was sullen and vexed. Some of your translations will say he was angry. Some will say he was sullen and vexed. It just, it messed with him emotionally. He didn't like being told no. He was used to getting whatever he wanted as king, as dictator of the world. And so you know what he did? The Bible says is he went, went home laid down on his bed, turned his face away from everyone, and didn't eat anything. If that's not the classical definition of serious depression, I don't know what is. He didn't want to be around anybody. He didn't want to eat anything. And all he wanted to do, he had such a heaviness in his heart, he just wanted to lay in bed. Life was too hard for him to live. Even though he had a grand palace, he had other vineyards and other lands and things that belonged to him, and he was the most powerful individual outside of his wife Jezebel. That's another, another story. And, and here he is falling in depression because he couldn't have this one little garden. Can I tell you sometimes... Depression is our own fault. Am I, Sean, are you saying that I've been depressed and it's all my fault? No, I'm not saying that. But sometimes it is. He wanted something that he shouldn't have been wanting. And he wanted something so badly that he acted like his whole life depended on it. And you know what the deal was? He was just mad. He was just mad and he was sulking. And he didn't want to be anybody in all that anger because he couldn't get what he wanted and had unmet expectations. He didn't know what to do with it, and it messed him up. So my warning to us this morning is to be careful. When we go through difficult times, when our expectations are not being met, when we aren't getting the things that we want, when our relationships aren't turning out exactly the way that we expected, it's okay to want better. But be careful along the way. Make sure that first that what you're really wanting is what you should be wanting. (laughs) Make sure that it's healthy and right. We're not nearly as much a victim of our own mental, emotional thinking as we really believe. We cause this stuff inside of us more than we want to admit. And we go to the doctors and expect them to just kind of clear it up for us. Somebody should have gone to Ahab and said, Ahab, don't you think that you're kind of making this bigger than you ought to? Don't you think you're kind of like taking the rest of your life for granted? Don't you think, like, Ahab, come on, seriously? Let's move on with this. So be careful what you're longing for, that you don't put too much hope into it. Make sure that what you're looking for as you walk through this pandemic and as you walk through whatever difficulties in life, that you're keeping a perspective it's a much bigger picture of the world around you. And along the way, you really need to be putting your hope in eternal things. That's what Paul said. That's what he said a minute ago. He's like, guys, I get tired. I'm, I, if I could, I don't want to deal with any of this stuff that I'm having to go through life. I don't want to deal with this right now. I don't want to deal with the headache and the heartache and all of the challenges. I'm ready to be home with my Lord. I'm ready to be in heaven with the Lord Jesus. I'm ready to spend that eternity. So you and I, as we go through the disappointments of life, I want to encourage you that really the better that you need to long for is that. And really, the better that we long for is to put our eyes toward that which is eternal, that which... Can't be seen. That's what we talked about at the end of last week, that this is really, Paul is continuing that same thing. Is like, we, we, we want, we value the things that are invisible. This stuff down here is just, it evaporates. It's like cotton candy. Dunk it in water and it's gone. As soon as you eat it, it tastes good for a split second and it's absolutely gone. Now, Paul says, even though my heart is hungry for that, I'm not despairing. Paul didn't have a a morbid death wish. It's not like he got up every day like, I just want to leave and I want to die. I want to be gone. He he was not suicidal. He was not in that kind of frame of mind. In fact, it was the opposite. What does he say? He says, so we are always of good courage in verse 6. That word good courage, it, it has kind of a twofold meaning. It means to be of good cheer and have confidence. Kind of Those two ideas together mean courage. He said, I'm not despairing when I go through all this in life. I'm not despairing about the better that I want, being stuck with where I am. He says, I have great courage and cheer in the middle of that. River, it's okay for you guys to have days that you're discouraged. It's okay for you to have days that you're depressed. It's okay. But along the way, we need to remember to look up that our hope is in that which is invisible. And when we begin to say, wait a minute, I have a God in heaven who loves me. Who's always promised to do what's best for me, to care for me. When we begin to really recalibrate this perspective dial, when we do that, all of a sudden our cheer and our joy and our courage and our confidence goes up because we're moving off of the stuff that we can't control. We're moving off the stuff that's beyond our control, the stuff that is going to fail around us, and we're putting it on that which is eternal. See, that's what Paul's telling us. He says, look guys, look at this. He says in verse five, he says, he who has prepared us for this eternity, this very thing is God. He's prepared us to endure this and prepared us ultimately for eternity in heaven. He has given us the spirit as his guarantee. What Paul is saying is this, is that, guys, the day that you surrendered your life to Jesus Christ as Lord, the day that you turned your back on sin, and the day that you repented of that and you turned in faith to Jesus and became his child, God put a deposit into your spiritual account. As we've been talking about the Holy Spirit through, through the book of 2 Corinthians, he put him, he wrote him on your heart. And he he is your guarantee that God is going to make good in the future. When you buy a home or maybe even rent an apartment or when you go to school, to college, you put down a deposit, don't you, to save your room, to put down. That's good faith money. That's you making a promise to the Bank, if you're putting, or to the, 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 the bank and the seller, if you're buying a home, to the owner, if you're renting whatever, that's a guarantee. What you're saying is, is, I'm good for this and I will finish paying. I will complete my obligation. Now we know that doesn't always play out. We recognize that uh, in this world. But it is, it is our human way of saying, I'm going to finish it. That's what God did with the Holy Spirit. See, here's the deal, guys. When the stuff around us begins to be a mess, we need to look inside. Not inside and get angry and all depressed like Ahab did. Instead, we need to look inside and say, Wait a minute, the Holy Spirit, there's something way better. God is is guaranteed that I've got a future in heaven and I can look toward this. And not be just pining away like my life is going to be miserable while I live here and that one day I get something good. But actually, as we sang about it a minute ago, that God, God brought his heaven down to us. And that he put himself inside of our heart. And he produces that joy and that courage in the middle of stinky, difficult times. So, so, River, this Thanksgiving, I don't know what you're not doing that you want to do. I don't know what's going on in your life. And for each and every one of you, I've got a sense for many of you, because we've had a lot of conversations but I want you to look up, and I want you to look and realize that God has put heaven inside of you today, that in the, middle of, in the middle of a mess, whatever you're going through, at any time, today and every day afterwards, whether it's COVID or some other difficulty, to look for better, but to put your better in the Lord Jesus in eternity and have a, a spring in your step and an okayness with your world in a messed up world. That's attitude number one. Attitude number two, Paul says, is this. Live by faith. Live by faith. He says, we know in verse 6, we know that while we are at home in the body, we're away from the Lord. We know. We're not really with with the Lord Jesus the way we want to be. We're like the guy that that Jesus cast the demons out and and delivered him and was gloriously saved. And he's like, can I go with you, Jesus? Jesus. I can picture him like this little puppy dog, this stray puppy dog that just got picked off the street and got fed its first meal and and finally got a loving touch. The dog's like, yes, master, I'll be with you the rest of my life. That's kind of how Jesus does. He picks us up in a mess. We're like, oh, I want to be with you. And Jesus told him, he's like, no, you go back with your people and tell them what I've done for you. That's what Jesus is telling all of us right now. This is how this fits into who's your one. as our Lord is in heaven, we can't be with him right now, but instead he wants us to be telling our people, our peeps and our friends and our families and our neighbors and our fellow students and our co-workers about this incredible hope that we have in him. And as we do that, he tells us to live by faith, not by sight. As we're away from the Lord, but he says in verse 7, we walk by faith and not by sight. What Paul is giving us here is not just something for this whenever we're in a crisis. This is not like if you're a carpenter and you need a hammer, you pull out a hammer. Or if you're an electrician, oh, I need a screwdriver, I need to cut some wires. This is not a little tool that we pull out. What Paul is telling us is this faith thing for us? It's not just a religious thing that we do once in a while, It's not just a one-time thing that when we realize that we're sinners before a holy God and that we can't fix our sin problem, we can't get out from under the guilt and the shame of what we've done wrong. It's not just something that you do once. Just to trust Jesus, to believe and have that faith in Him as your Savior and Lord because He took our penalty on the cross that we sang wonderfully about in our first song this morning. But faith is what Paul is telling us is that that's our generality of life. He says, guys, remember, this is how this works. We live by faith, not by sight. It's the guiding premise of our life. We don't, we're not sight livers, we're faith livers. When the Bible, faith livers, that sounds like chicken livers or something. <laughs> we live by faith. You got, sometimes you say stuff and you're like, ooh, that didn't sound very good. But we're to, be, to live by faith, not by what we see. When the people in the Bible, when they lived their life, they couldn't text, they couldn't email, they didn't have even, not only did they not cell phones, they didn't even have landlines. So if you want to talk to somebody, you went out your front door, and you walked down the street, and you talked to somebody. And if you wanted to put some money in the bank, you walked out your front door, and you walked there. The average person didn't own animals to ride. They walked everywhere. Consequently, they didn't have gyms to work out in. They were never not in shape because they walked everywhere to do everything in life. You needed to go to work, you walked to work, and you worked in the garden, you walked. Consequently, this idea of walking just meant to live your life. And all the humdrum, everyday, average, ordinary thing. They must have just worn out shoes and sandals left and right. I mean, probably that was a pretty good profession. You could go in the shoe business, right? So when the Bible tells us that we're supposed to walk by faith, what it means is very tangibly is that every little area of our life is to be an expression of faith, is to be lived out by faith. Everything. It's not just a religious thing that you do on Sunday morning. It's not just something that you do when you open your Bible. Oh, I'm going to make a... It's not just the big decisions that we're going to trust God in. It's every little thing. You get in your car and go down the road, you're supposed to live by faith. Turn on the radio, you've got to live by faith. You're buying bread and milk at the grocery store on your way home, you live by faith. Put on your mask, you're living by faith. In every area of your life, we're supposed to live by faith. What Paul is telling us, guys, is it is easy to get our eyes on what we see. When we long for better, and that better is in this world around us, we're not living by faith. We're not focusing on the unseen See, that's what faith is. Our faith is is trusting the unseen hand of God. Instead, we're beginning to trust and turn our eyes to that which is seen. And Paul is challenging us. He's reminding us, hey, gang. Hey, team, remember, we are supposed to live by faith in everything of life. Students, as you're struggling, like, how in my world am I going to finish my degree? How can I get my classes? Can I get my clinicals in? And how's this going to work? And I can't do this. I can't get my labs. And all of this with COVID. Time out. You live by faith. You trust the God of heaven, who's the invisible God, who's got you, who's got your back, and will take care of you. Mom and dad, you're at home. You lose your job. How am I going to handle this? You live by faith. Friends get COVID, family gets COVID, you trust God. You put your hope in the invisible hand of God. You see, that's what faith is. When we live by sight, we trust our resources. We trust our abilities and the things that we see around us. And Paul is telling us, guys, faith is trusting God's resources. It's trusting God's bank account. It's trusting God's network base. It's We're putting our stock there. And that which is unseen to take care of us down here and that which is seen. Paul tells us in every area of our life, we're to walk by faith. Now, if you're like me, I know that often, and if I hear somebody say that, I said, "Yeah, that's right. But when I get off living my life during the week, I can forget that. Anybody here have that same problem? We all could raise our hand, right? And we're like, oh, what are we going to do? How's this going to work? And all of that. You see, sight living wants clarity. We want tangible reality. We want somebody right here in front of us to take care of us. And we want to see it perfectly. We want to know how it's all there. And what God in heaven does like, hey, you need to learn to live and trust me when you don't have clarity. You can't see very well. And the weather forecast of your life is looking cloudy and dismal. You know the sun's out there somewhere, but it's not showing today. But you've got to trust me. You've got to walk by faith and not by sight. Church, when things are good, you need to walk by faith. We're just as tempted to walk by sight when things are good as we are when they're not good. Because sometimes when things are good, we're like, woohoo. I, you know, I don't need God. I got this. This is great. We need to walk by faith all the time. So long for what's better, but make sure the better is really better. <laughs> and don't put too much stock on the stuff around us. Live by faith, trusting the God in heaven who loved you and saved you. He says, I will never abandon you and never leave you. If you are really a child of mine, you really are a born-again child of mine, I will never abandon you, and I've got you in the middle of everything. Oh, you're going to walk through some stuff that you don't get and don't like, but I've got you. Third attitude. First one is is long for better. Second one is live by faith. And the third one is, is love to please, specifically love to please God. Look what Paul says in verse 9. So whether we are at home or away, in other words, we're, we're, we're away right now. We're not home with the Lord. We're, we're strangers living in this land. We don't quite fit in. We make it our aim. That's our, our focus, our goal. Whole single point of life, pew, right there is where we're shooting for, is to please Him. That's our, our goal. See, River, if we're not careful, when, when we get grumpy and we get miserable... We get cranky, we get depressed, angry, and all kinds of emotional words in there. We're not careful. In the middle of that, that's all an indicator. It can often be, and I would even dare say usually is an indicator that we are putting our aim someplace other than God. And Paul says, look, guys, this life I'm living is difficult but my my aim is always to please God. Oftentimes when we get frustrated and miserable and all of that, it's because what we want is things that aren't necessarily pleasing God or it's things that aren't fitting in with what God is doing around us. And we've gotten our focus off track and we want something we can't have and so often it's not even good for us anyway. Or it leads us down a path that God says that is not for you. That's just plain sin and disobedience to me. So we need to, Double up our efforts and think about, is this really, is my goal really to please God? When I get up on Monday morning, is my goal today to truly please God? Or am I trying to please myself? See, when you live by sight, wanting that clarity that we can't have and only trusting what you can see, put your hands around, longing for the better that's right in front of you. When we're living that way, We're really not pleasing God, we're pleasing ourselves. And Paul says, guys, our whole goal here is to please Him. That's it. Remember what Jesus said in the Garden of Gethsemane before He was crucified Lord, not my will, but Old King James, thine be done, yours be done. God, this is not Father, this is not what I want. I want to do what you want. Remember the, the, the Lord's Prayer, the, the Our Father, some of you grew up with, you know, Our Father, who art in heaven, after reminding us that we're praying to one who is not made like you and me, whose lives in heaven, who's infinite and supernatural, who's holy, hallowed be your name, that you're a holy God, whose authority is what matters, your kingdom come. So teaching our heart to have a posture toward God in prayer, But after he says, Your kingdom come, what's he say? Your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. See, the Bible tells us that our prayers to even God in heaven are not about us getting our will done in heaven, they're actually about us getting God's will done on earth. (laughs) Instead of you and me going to God like, God, can I get this? Can I get this? And can I, can I put a side order into this? And can I put an extra helping of that? And can you put a little latte, you know, give me a little cream or whatever, little sprinkles on top for my life to make it just the way I want it? Instead of us getting what we want, it's us going to God saying, God, what do you want? What do you want out of me? What do you want in my life? What do you want in my family's life? What do you want in my relationships? What do you want for my kids? What, God, what's your game plan? And, and Paul is reminding us, and if we're not careful, that we get our eyes off of really what we're here for. And he says, guys, we're all about, we're here to please God. That's, we love to do that. I promise you, if you're not careful in the middle, when the going gets tough, that we get our eyes off of all of that, and we put it on all that we don't have, and all of those things, and if when we do that, our Thanksgiving will be miserable, and our life will be miserable, because we'll be living for ourselves and not for something that's eternal and worthwhile. So River, I want to encourage us, and I, I struggle with all of these just like you do. The, the thing that I struggle with the most, coming and pastoring and, and preaching every week, is it makes it sound like I got all this together, and I need this as much as, as you guys do. But we need to make sure that we're putting our focus on, God, what is your plan? Does this please you or not? Susan and I were reminded of that recently. As you guys know, we've been re- trying to remodel a room, and my goodness, it's taken a long time. It's just like... Kind of stop and herky-jerky and anyway. And now we're like, okay, God, we could use a little furniture. We can buy it. It's not an issue, but is this really what you want? You want us to do that. And we're trying to small little disciplined ways of just, God, our bank account is your account. This house belongs to you. Everything in our life, small and big. Lord, what is, what is your game plan in our life? What do you want to do in my world? Paul is telling us that we live to please God. Now, there's a... uh, In in every way. So, living to please God means that we live and please Him in His Word. He tells us in His Word what we should do. You know, Colossians 3.10 says, Children, obey your parents in everything. For this pleases God. It pleases the Lord. Same word. Kids, mom and dad, you should help your kids know their job. Not when they're 28 but when they're 15 and when they're 5, their job's to to obey you because that pleases God. Paul says in Romans 12, I beseech you, therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies a living sacrifice, holy, acceptable, same word again, pleasing to God. He tells us, guys, treat yourself as a sacrifice being offered for whatever God wants to do in your life. That's what pleases God. Ephesians 5, the Bible tells us that it pleases God for us to live holy in the world around us. In context, Paul says that what he's saying here in the middle of this is we've talked about the Hoosier One, which is our way of kind of, for lack of better words, don't, 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 the super spiritual in the crowd, don't make this, don't like ding me, like you're not very scriptural or spiritual pastor, but this is our marketing of what Paul's been talking about, right? That we should care about lost people, people that need Jesus around us, is how we're trying to capture a concept and help us focus and get there. And for Paul, what he's saying is like, look, that's my aim, because that's what I'm supposed to do. I'm here to please God, and I'm going to do it, even though while I'm doing it, I don't like what's going on in my life around me. I do it. So River, for you and I, the reason we're doing Who's Your One... I I want us to, as a church, to obey God in everything. And he gives us a huge motivation for it. And with this, I'm going to be done in verse 10. Why our motivation, why we should please God. He says, for we must, very accurately translated, we must, we have to. We can't get out of this. There's no way around it. We can't sidestep the rule. This is not... Can I get away with wearing a mask or not? Nobody's looking. Can I get away with 12 people for Thanksgiving or not? Even though we're supposed to only have 10. This is not any of that. It says we all must, every one of us who are followers of Jesus, we must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ. We're going to appear before him. So that each one may receive what is due for what he has done in the body, whether good or evil. There's two places of judgment in the end times before the Lord Jesus. Revelation 21, 20 or 21 talks about the great white throne of judgment. That's the place where people who do not know Jesus, who've not surrendered their life before Him, will stand before Him in judgment. And if they've not received Jesus by faith, surrendered their life to Him, It's irrelevant how religious they've been. It's irrelevant what church they went to. It's irrelevant whether or not they're a member of a church anywhere, how often they prayed, how often they went to church, how much money they gave to anybody, how many little old ladies they helped across the street, and what good things they did for the needy and the poor. It's irrelevant. Jesus is going to open the books and says, "Oh, sorry, your name's here. Sorry, your name's not here. And the whole what gets your name in the book of life, the Bible says, is receiving Jesus Christ to be Lord of your life. Stop trying to be good enough yourself and instead trust that Jesus was good enough on your behalf and putting your whole hope and faith in Him. And when you have entered into that relationship, it demonstrates that your name is written in that book. And in the end, those whose names are not written there, the Bible says, will be cast off the lake of fire. This judgment is different. This judgment is a judgment that all those who do follow Jesus, who genuinely know Him, are going to stand before Him to be judged. Now, we don't stand before Him to be judged to see what our destiny is or where our eternity is. That was already settled on the cross. When Jesus said, it is finished, our destiny was completely taken care of on the cross, not up for debate, no judgment needed forever. However, our actions... And our life and our work on this earth, while we were followers of Jesus, will be judged. They will be opened before him. And Paul tells us, guys, I'm living to please God. And you ought to, too. Because the day is coming when everything that I do is going to be unfolded and and Jesus himself is going to be like the judge on the bench. That judgment seat This was used of all the Leaders and the proconsuls of the day that would stand in judgment over the people, and usually a much like we would a courtroom today, an elevated position and full authority, not questioned at all. And everything that you and I do and say as followers of Jesus, a spotlight will be shined upon that, and we will receive rewards. We will receive consequences or rewards based on what we've done. You see, we enter into heaven as our inheritance based on what Jesus did. Not on what we do, but what on Jesus did. But we receive rewards on top of that inheritance based on how we lived out our life in relationship with Jesus. 1 Corinthians 3 talks about that, where we can live our life with things that are worthwhile, gold, jewels, and precious stones, or we can live it with hay and stubble. And those that, as Christians who don't love to please the Lord Jesus, who instead are living life a bit more for themselves, all of their investments will go up in smoke. It will be the biggest spiritual investment bubble that they've ever known. It will be gone. Will they be saved and going to heaven? Absolutely. Will it be a joyous time for them? Absolutely. But it will not be what it could have been. Because the Bible says they will suffer loss. And I don't fully comprehend, and the Bible doesn't uh, shine a light on how that's going to be. Maybe the best illustration I I read, just trying to get some background on it, that even came to mind was it'll be much for every believer, it'll be like commencement. Are you excited that you graduate and get to go to heaven? You bet. But will there be a sense of loss that you might could have leaned in a little bit more and experienced more reward for eternity? Absolutely. The River, genuinely gut level honest with you as a pastor, I want you guys to experience for all of eternity as much as you possibly can and urge you to live faithfully to please the Lord Jesus here on this earth. That's why we're doing Who's Your One? Because that's a big part of it. It's how you've invested your life. Are you investing your life into your own stuff and what you can see to please yourself? Are you investing it in living your life to please the Lord and to give yourself fully for Him? Because I don't just want you in heaven, River. I want you to experience for all of eternity. We save for retirement for what? 10 years, what, 30 years? What's the longest somebody would live in retirement? I guess if you can retire at 50, somebody could do that. I'm 50, I just turned 52, what, two days ago? Three days ago, I don't know, sometime this week. So I'm already past that. I don't expect to live 40 years after retirement. So, you know, we save and put away and all of that so that we can enjoy and have. We're talking about enjoying rewards for an eternity, forever. The best retirement plan ever. If you've spent any time trying to figure out how to retire well, even as a young adult, you should be spending an infinite more time trying to obey the Lord Jesus to enjoy that forever. So, River, I don't know what you needed this morning since we don't have life groups this week, right? I'm double-checking, right? Don't know. I don't know if your group is. Yours isn't. Is my group meeting? Who meets on Wednesdays? Nobody here. Ask your life group leaders that question. Well, I'm guessing most of them will not meet. Thursdays isn't meeting because that's Thanksgiving and I doubt that's happening. But since we're not having those groups to discuss it, here's my life group question for you this today. Which of these attitudes do you most need right now? Which of these three? Do you need to long for better but reevaluate what that better really is? Are you really living by faith right now in what you're thinking about and what you're dealing with? Or do you really, truly need to focus more on pleasing God and just loving that? Not loving the reward, but passionate just about pleasing God and letting God work out whatever those rewards are all about. Leave it with Him. But what do you most need to do with that this morning? For some of you, You need to step into a faith relationship with the Lord Jesus. You've relied too much in your past about just being a good person and past religion and maybe your parents and all of that and being a good person, but it's not enough. You must come to that place in your life where you surrender your life before Jesus as Lord and be the boss of your life, recognizing and admitting the depths of your sin, feeling the conviction and the shame and the guilt of that, and asking Him to forgive and wash that away, that is a life-changing experience. When you step into that faith relationship with Him, trusting what He did and not yours, you become a child of God, then all of these things begin to make sense, and you have reward in heaven. You have an inheritance in heaven. But until that point, none of this really ultimately applies to you. You need to take that first step of faith. But for those of you who do know Jesus, which of these most needs to be a part of your life today? So whether you're here at River or if you're watching online right now, I want to encourage you to answer that question. I'm going to give you just a minute of just kind of quiet prayer, and, uh, and then I'm going to wrap us up in prayer as well. And I uh, hope that this Thanksgiving week and whatever comes about in COVID, that these are this is kind of a pillar Passage that you can go back on and think and reflect about. These are truths that we all need to go back to, guys, and really look into. But let's pray. You kind of think about answering that question and respond to God your own way in prayer, and then I'm going to wrap this up. So pray with me. Lord in heaven, even in the uncomfortable silence in the room, you are here with us. Father, I pray that whatever is in people's minds and hearts and they're praying about, Lord, would you bless them in that. Help them to take those steps, those steps of faith, those steps of refining what they're looking at, of recalibrating their their life spiritually. Father, forgive us when we look to please ourselves we want more of just what's around us, not living for eternity, not, not loving to please you, not living by faith. Lord, would you help us day in and day out through the difficulties of life to have our focus on you. Lord, I pray as a, as a pastor that you would bless and just really come down and work in our relationships as we consider about who's your one. Lord, would you put people in our path, in our mind, and our hearts, and help us to please you in these relationships. We're just like that man whom you've delivered from sin and have told us just to go back and tell people what you've done in our life. not fun at times. Life, even though it's wonderful, has some tremendous challenges. We long for, we long for you, Father. Until that time, help us live faithfully. Lord, I lift everyone here that's here and, and online. I lift them to you in prayer in Jesus' name. Well, River, as you settle in for Thanksgiving, I pray that God blesses it richly. I don't know how your traditions or habits are shifted this year, but make Jesus your focus. It's not only the right thing to do, actually a little bit selfish. It's what's going to bless you and help you live just in a much better space. So God bless you. Have a fantastic, wonderful week. Happy Thanksgiving to you. Thanks for listening to Rivercast, brought to you by River of Life Church in Gilderland, New York. Visit us on Sundays at 10 a.m. or online at riveralbany.com.